I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers and just plain cool people about music. Joining us on this episode of The Sound of Success is Tara Lipinski. Tara is the 1997 world champion and 1998 Olympic champion in women's singles figure skating. On her way to those titles, she was also the first woman to complete a triple loop, triple loop combination jump in competition. Next up, Tara turned professional, giving her the opportunity to spend more time with her family and further her education. And she won every competition she entered during her professional career. And her legacy is as a winner and innovator, an athlete who helped evolve and propel the sport forward. Her second career as a sports broadcaster began in 2010. And when she joined NBC the following year, teaming up with commentator Terry Gannon and her now good friend Johnny Weir, she brought a bright, fresh, fun and accessible approach to figure skating commentary that she has now expanded into a larger role as an analyst for both the Winter and Summer Olympics. Tara has also hosted fashion, food and wedding shows on television. And earlier this year, she co-produced along with her husband, Todd Medling, the Olympic skating scandal that shocked the world, a four-part documentary series focusing on the 2002 skating controversy at the Salt Lake City Olympics. I could go on. Tara, you seem just as much of a whirling dervish off the ice as you were on it. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Of course, I'm happy to do this. So we're going to talk music shortly, but first up, who were your ice skating heroes growing up and perhaps even during your career? And then secondly, in your broadcasting gig, who did you look up to and who inspired and supported you to make the jump into that world? Well, it really came full circle when I was a little girl. Obviously, anyone who went to the Olympics or was an Olympian, I was just completely in awe of. And, um, you know, when I was probably eight, nine years old, someone like Christy Yamaguchi and Scott Hamilton were just larger than life for me. You know, I don't know. I I would have to go back. You know, I toured with them for many years. I have to go back and remember when I actually met my idols for the first mm. time. But, you know, as a young skater growing up in the sport and hoping to go to the Olympic Games herself one day, it was definitely Christy Yamaguchi, Scott Hamilton, who, you know, were amazing role models and being able to watch their careers on TV and and hope that maybe I could replicate some of that same success was a was a really nice motivation for me, you know, as a, a young little girl in the ice rink. And and then, you know, moving on to the second part of that question, again, you know, it, it always changes. Obviously, I had so many people that I looked up to in the sport when I was touring, someone like Kurt Browning, who was an incredible artist and performer. And I toured with him for many years, um, was also an inspiration to me. But but when I really made the jump um, to broadcast for, for what I guess I call my second career, mm. um, it did come back full circle because Scott Hamilton, one of the all-time great commentators um, in our sport, was someone that not only I admired and he would commentate my own events when I was still competing. So his voice was synonymous with figure skating and someone that I would go back and listen to what he would say and make take notes. And really, I really, really looked up to him as well. So when I started to make that transition, I would, you know, I spoke with him. I I worked with him here and there, obviously on a much lower level at the time. I was just sort of climbing up the ladder and he was brilliant. And it was, it was always fun for me when I first started out to, to have these people to, to look up to. 
you mentioned uh, researching and listening to uh, to his commentary, and I read somewhere that you did a lot of that at the beginning. You really immersed yourself in other people's work just to try and figure out how you would fit in, I guess. Yeah, it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult next step. And when you've never done it before, you really don't know what to expect. And and being the perfectionist and sort of worrywart that I am, I just, you know, love to dive in into research and into studying when I'm kind of taking on a new project to make sure that I feel like completely prepared to take on that next role. And that's something I did um, in commentary. You know, Dick Button, obviously another legendary commentator that I looked up to, Peggy Fleming and Sandra Bezik, who is actually my choreographer. It's a very small world, but I spent a lot of time going back through tape and listening and and just really understanding the magic that they brought to the broadcast. But after a while, I, I kind of realized, you know, I did that for a few weeks and I feel like it was it was great to sort of store all that knowledge. But at the end of the day, you put those headphones on and you really have to be yourself and you can't follow any script or follow um, in anyone else's footsteps because it won't be authentic. And I think that's what Johnny and I try so hard to do now is being as true to ourselves, as authentic, you know, really, uh, diving into to whatever style of commentary you would like to say our style is and really letting that chemistry and our personalities take or sort of become the centerpiece and not follow someone else. You talk about Johnny, obviously, and it is my belief that you guys didn't really know each other that well before you started working together. Is, is that right? Well, we, you know, again, small world, the the, the figure skating world, but we we knew of each other. We didn't know each other very well. It, you know, we've gone to events or we sort of crossed paths. There was one event that we did together in a, in a sort of hosting capacity. And it was, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like this is so easy to work with Johnny. But again, it was brief and we really didn't have that much history together. But once we started our commentary together. Well, actually the story is he was doing the men's and I was doing the the women's. Right. And then we met in a hallway and started talking day after day when we were in the studio and we were like, we need to do this together. We need to right. pitch this together. And it was just an immediate chemistry and um, connection that it felt like I knew him my whole life. So the most recent Olympics was uh, Beijing earlier this year. We're recording this in 2022. And as a result of COVID, you guys had to do your commentary from a studio here in the U.S. How different is it to work on a huge event like that and not actually be physically in and around it? Well, of course, you know, being at the event, being part of the Olympic Games where you're immersed into the into the entire experience and you're you're in the arena and you feel the energy from the crowd and it, it's something that's so special. And I've, I've been grateful and lucky to go to so many Olympic games at this point and it never gets old. The magic is always there. The goosebumps are always there. But I will say that, you know, when we got the news, of course, there's that little bit of, oh, I wish I was going to go to another Olympics, be in the arena to watch the skating. But at the end of the day, I've been, you know, Johnny and I have been doing this so long and a lot of our other events were not there, you know, we, to the big events we're always, you know, in the arena, but there's a lot of events we do throughout the year that are in studio. So it was very comfortable and the setup was great and they made it feel, they made it feel big, which was really nice. We had these huge screens and, and at the end of the day, we love skating so much and we nerd out over skating so much that after a while, I forgot that we weren't there. 
you're just in the middle of the work and that's really all that's going on in that particular yeah. moment. Yeah, it was. And it's also the Olympics. So even though we weren't there, it still is inspiring and exciting to watch on a screen as it is in person. So I feel like that energy was really easy to access and it really wasn't a concern for us. But of course, you know, it's always nice to be present and, and in the moment. Um, but overall, it was still a fantastic Olympics. Of course, the big talking point in Beijing was the doping scandal around the 15-year-old Russian athlete Kamila Velieva. Uh, as she skated, you guys chose to simply announce her jumps and to express your opinions that she should not have been allowed to compete. She ended up falling multiple times in the free skate and not meddling. But what a strange and frankly disturbing controversy it was. So two questions. How do you see the seemingly endless ways the Russians try to cheat? And secondly, as a skater yourself who was so young when you were at the highest level of the sport and the pressure that comes with it, do you think Valieva can come back from such a devastating episode? You know, it was one of the hardest things I had ever done in my career in, in broadcast, hands down. I don't know if we'll ever really encounter something like that. And and to your point, you know, I, I, I was 15 at my Olympic Games. Uh, she was 15 at that Olympic Games. There were so many similarities that I could relate to, and I understand the pressures and understand what it's like to be a young athlete and under such immense pressure. And then at the same time, it was so hard to still stick to what was right. And what was right is that if you had a failed blood test or a drug test, that you wouldn't be allowed to compete. Because there's so many athletes, there was an athlete, you know, a year and a half ago that took months and months to sort of get through her case. She was using eyelash serum, didn't understand, didn't know the ingredient, turned up, it was, you know, positive on the drug test. And then she couldn't go to the world championships. Mm. She was immediately taken out of competition and had to fight her way back in. And there's just a process and protocol that goes along with this. And I think no matter your age, you understand that you have to follow those rules to have like a clean competition. But the saddest part and what made it so difficult is voicing those opinions, but also realizing this is a 15 year old. So I would say those things, but if you ask me, do I think it's her fault? I would say no, because I don't think any 15 year old should be left in the position she was left in. What happened to her was really, it, it was devastating. It, it's terrible. She she got pushed out onto that ice at 15 years old and had all the weight of, of, of the world on her shoulders, plus had to bear these consequences when the adults around her were guiding her, knowing, you know, full well what was happening and mm. let this happen to her. So as much as I, you know, Johnny and I both strongly stood by the fact she shouldn't be competing, my heart was completely breaking for this young girl. And my mind was going to what happens if I didn't have the support, the parents, the coaches to to surround me when I was that age. And I was put in a position like this and felt like I didn't have the choice, felt like people were just sort of pushing me out center ice under these circumstances and knew full well that you know, my entire career could blow up in a, in a second. And that's kind of what happened to her. So it's, it's devastating. Do you think that she can come back from something like that? She's immensely talented. It, it's, it's mind blowing. But what's so sad about even saying that, and we talked a lot about that at the Olympics is 
you say that. And I firmly believe that she is a talent that is is very rare. But what's happened from, again, the adults around her, they, they've now put her in the position where people will doubt what is performance enhancing drugs doing to make you so good? Or, you know, where is that base level of, of talent now? You know, it's, it's now on the scale that I think people will always wonder, did the performance enhancing drugs allow her to train harder, give her the edge over everyone else to be as good as she is? But, you know, for someone who watches skating as much as I have, her her innate raw talent is just otherworldly. And I think that she can come back from it. I just think, unfor- unfortunately, again, back to the coaches, the system and everyone surrounding her in Russia, it's so unfortunate that they put her and her career in jeopardy. It's going to depend really on the people around her. And based on what we saw at the Olympics, she doesn't really have very good people around her. They've got to change the system in Russia. And what's happening is is just everyone else is playing clean. And you have to make sure that that is the case for every single athlete uh, from any country. And uh, right now, the Russians are going to be competing inside of Russia against themselves because with the war and everything that's happened recently, beyond everything that's happened at the Olympics, they're not allowed to compete in the normal international competitions right now. I mentioned in the intro that you and your husband, Todd, co-produced the documentary series Meddling about the uh, 2002 story of the uh, Canadian figure skating pair, Jamie Soleil and David Peltier, who through another Russian fixing, judging thing that happened, they ended up losing the gold to the, to the Russian skaters who were fantastic. But this documentary is about something that happened 20 years ago. And here we are with the same kind of thing still going on. Do they just not get it? Or do they just think that they can find different ways to not be caught out? You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm qualified to even understand what is happening or or how this happens, because, you know, it is so different here. And growing up as even a, a young, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old, I knew um, exactly how important drug testing was. And I knew exactly what I shouldn't be doing and, you know, like anything I ate or, you know, knowing when that there's going to be random drug tests and all of these things. So I knew how seriously it was taken here with U.S. figure skating and, and in our country. But, you know, so I don't even know. I just don't know if it's so different there that no one, you know, the the poor skaters themselves aren't really educated because they're just listening to what their coaches are sort of demanding from them and sure. and don't have that support. But yeah, it's a shame. There does seem to be this win at all costs uh, philosophy that is going on behind what the actual skaters are doing. So that was a fantastic documentary series, by the way. I mean, I remember it uh, unfolding at the time, but your documentary series really told us the story from from the inside. And um, what else are you working on? Where will we see you next on television? Um, so we we do our 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 regular gig of full skating content all through the year, usually from October to March for all the Grand Prix, nationals, world championships. Um, so we'll be doing that. Obviously, we have the we were involved in the Summer Olympics. 
Johnny and I have been working on a few other shows together. So there's always a lot in the works. Me and my husband are also, we formed that production company. He's a, he's a director himself, does a lot of sports documentaries. So we're sort of really thinking about next steps for our projects together. I recently hosted a show called Wedding Talk that will come out in October, which is really exciting. And it's um, such a departure, obviously, from figure skating, but that's sort of been my job the last 10 years where figure skating is the main gig, but sometimes then I'm hosting a food network show or, you know, something that seems completely random, but um, maybe because I love love and romance so much and wedding that um, it's a good fit. But yeah, we, we just wrapped on that. And so keeping myself busy. Yeah, well, there's certainly crossover with the fashion angle, obviously, from, uh, you know, dressing for the ice and obviously somebody getting dressed for their wedding. Um, Let's jump into the music questions. It seems inevitable that perhaps some of the music you skated to will fit into some of your answers. So feel free to expand as we work our way through. What is your first musical memory? I, my goodness. You know, it's funny, I was saying this to my husband the other day, is that my mom and my uncle, the house was always filled with music from anywhere sort of like a a range of Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac to Bob Seger and I feel like those songs as I heard them on repeat for years when I was a little girl made a pretty big impact I'm a huge Fleetwood Mac our wedding song was a Stevie Mix cover and so I feel like that's probably my first introduction to music. I read somewhere that Bruce Springsteen's Jersey Girl has a uh, a place. Oh, in, yes. In your heart. I, yeah, I mean, I am a Jersey girl, so definitely um, a, a Bruce fan. And I love that song. Oh, my goodness. What was the first music you bought with your own money? Oh, goodness, I don't even know if I like remember the actual CD um, that I would have purchased myself. But I just remember probably around that time, like Green Day, like all of those bands were were sort of, you know, all my older friends at the rink were listening to them. And I remember mm. being very fascinated of, of, ooh, like this is the, you know, like getting into music. That was obviously another introduction into when you really start, you know, listening to lyrics and feeling those emotions and being, a, a, you know, almost teenager. <laughs> Now, I know you moved around a little bit because of your your training. Did you get an opportunity to go to see live music when you were a kid? And if if you did, what was the first concert that you went to without adult supervision? Well, with adult supervision, I went to New Kids on the Block because that I, I was obsessed with them when I was a little girl. Um, without adult supervision, I think that it was an in-sync concert. And I, yeah, me and my best girlfriend went to that. Do you remember where? I don't remember where. I was maybe like Pittsburgh. I was touring. I don't know if it was like Pittsburgh. I I can't remember exactly. What do you listen to when you want to dance? Uh, It's so hard. I love all types of music, so many different kinds. But I, I, I guess that I do. I do like rap. I do like hip hop. Top 40 is always fun. I love Motown. Um, My mom, like listen to oldies every day in the car. So I feel like I know every lyric to every oldie song, like a 60s oldie song that that there is. So I feel like there's a little piece of my heart that loves oldies. And obviously being a skater, listening to classical music for so long, even though I rebelled and didn't want to skate to classical music and rather 
would skate to movie themes. Um, you know, I still appreciate it. And now as a, as a broadcaster, hear it so much that, you know, I feel like my range of music is just all over the board. How did you pick the music that you skated to? I know you mentioned movie soundtracks and I know you skated to Anastasia, the, yeah. the movie soundtrack for that, that film. How, how did you select the music? Uh, it was always hard. I really would need to feel it. I'd have to get on the ice and and feel like it was going to move me and inspire me. And, you know, you listen to it hours and hours on end for a full year. So you definitely have to like it. And obviously there's more that goes into that as well of what yeah. you're trying to portray to the judges that year and, and show that you've grown and, and have a, a wide range. But it would take a, a while, a lot of listening and um, and then something would just come on and I, and I would feel it and be like, this is it. Were there ever pieces that you selected and trained and trained and trained and then at some point said, you know, this isn't working. I need to try yeah, something else. It happens. I don't remember probably which ones exactly, but I know that it's definitely happened before. And it happens a lot in skating where you you just realize, okay, this this was a good idea, but not a great idea. And we need to go back to the drawing board. What do you listen to when you're feeling sad? Ooh. Um, I love, I love music. I love listening to lyrics so much. I'm trying to think if there's a go-to for, for when I'm feeling sad, but there's definitely songs, you know, like ballads and, and songs that are my go-to for, for like strictly lyric, lyrical listing. <laughs> yeah. Some people, some people say, you know, they'll find a song that they connect with lyrically. And then other people are like, I, I don't go there. I, I put something else on so I don't feel sad. Is I know. No, I love to be in my emotions. And as a skater, you have to tap into them so much that, you know, to, when I'm feeling sad, I love to go to the rink and put on songs that are moving and emotional and I'm relating to at the moment and then be able to express myself that way. How often do you go to the rink these days? Oh, you know, COVID changed a lot. It just, it, I, I used to go maybe once a month and it's it's been a while, but I do it enough to keep it up so that I I never really lose it. <laughs> I wouldn't think you'll lose it, but yeah. I hope not. <laughs> do you have a favorite music video? Favorite music video. Wow. I don't know. You know, it's so interesting when you think about how music impacts you and, and you kind of run through all the years and there's there's so many different things. Obviously, the Bye 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 by NSYNC when I was a teenager brings back so many memories watching that on TRL or even when I was really young and probably like, I, I don't know how old. I, I would have to go back and, and really look. But I remember Kurt Cobain and watching or seeing that video, that live video and him in that sweater, you know, there's so oh, many- the MTV unplugged. Yeah. So there's so many moments that if you think over your lifetime that that make an impact. But, you know, thinking back to when I was a teenager, I would I religiously watch TRL and all of those music videos. And um, that show was huge, wasn't it? It's all you did was watch the same video every single day. <laughs> right. It just had a different chart number yeah. or something. <laughs> Um, do you have a recent musical discovery? Um, how do you discover music these days? And do you have something that you've discovered, whether it's new or just something that's new to you that you'd like to share with our listeners? I don't know if I have anything recently new that I I've tagged that I could probably share, but I do love to go on Spotify and just be able to search and the discover tab. And I find that I make all of these playlists with music I would have never known about and, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, of finding different artists and creating different moods for my playlist. I, I just love doing that. So Spotify is a great resource for me. 
Have you ever thought about doing a playlist, uh, you know, like a Tara Lipinski oh, playlist? I haven't. I haven't. Who knows? Maybe someday. 10%, please. You got it. Do you have a band or an artist that you love but feel perhaps they never quite got the big break they deserved? Hmm. No. I mean, Dave Matthews is probably my favorite artist of all time. I've been to like 15. I mean, he definitely got his big break. Um, so that wouldn't be him. So I'm, I'm not sure I have the answer to that, but it just made me think he is my favorite probably of, of all time. I have been to, I don't know, 20 something concerts and, um, whenever he's in town, I'm there. And I'm, I always say like, I'm never, I've never really wanted to meet, you know, like a lot of people, Oh, I have a celebrity that I just like, I can't wait to meet. Sure. For me, I never really had that. It was only Dave Matthews. And then I met him at a, a restaurant one night and it made my day. And he is as lovely in person as you would think. And he's actually coming to LA soon. So I'm going to have to figure out. Got to uh, get some tickets. Got a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's a lot of shows. I You, you said 15 to 20 shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've gone multiple times back to back days. I love Dave Matthews. And and he has done just fine over over the last oh, twenty sure has. Yeah. five years or so. Yeah. Do you have a band or an artist that you would describe as a, a a guilty pleasure? Somebody that perhaps you listen to that we would be surprised to to find out that you like. Huh. That's a good question. Huh. I don't know. I feel again like when I think of my playlist or what's what's currently on them, it really is. It, it literally can be Bob Seger to a hip hop rap song to a ballad and an 80s song that reminds me of, you know, being a little kid. So I feel like it's so across the board. I don't know if I would have one that would be super surprising, but there's so many feel good songs. It's like Fast Car. Sometimes you just got to listen to Fast Car. That song is so good that, you know, I don't know where that comes from. So it's not like, <laughs> you know, every day I'm listening to that, but sometimes I find myself always like, needing to like throw back and listen to songs that remind me of of different times in my life are you talking tracy chapman when when you yes, say tracy chapman. sorry we always wrap up our conversation with the one final question which is how are you feeling right now Whew. i'm feeling good i'm feeling good i'm feeling busy so i feel like you have that alive energy with so much you know going on in our lives we're renovating our home we're, you know, lots of new work stuff. So I feel that that creative energy and that excitement about the future. So yeah, I'm feeling good. It's great to have a moment with you and hear about the music that you love and the music that has inspired you. So thank you so much for, for taking a minute and talking to us on The Sound of Success. Thank you. This was so much fun. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.